the rest of us, grab our Bibles, Joshua chapter 7, Joshua and chapter 7, we've got, we'll begin reading in verse number 1, read through verse number 15, and then we'll get into it, so Joshua chapter 7. We've been going through a series in Joshua, and now we just finished Jericho, and they're getting ready to move on and continue to conquer the land for the Lord. But there's a um, there's a conjunction there; it changes, changes direction in verse in chapter chapter number seven. It says they've conquered in verse chapter number six, and then in chapter number seven it starts. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. Okay, how did that happen? For Achan, the son of Camry, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zariah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up. But let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people go up to labor thither, for they are but a few. It's going to be easy. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down, whereof the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan? to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ around us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except you destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou cannot stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. 
And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households. And the household which the Lord shall take there shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's a stern passage this time, Lord. Last time we heard about the great victory that you won and how we can experience that tonight. It's a stern warning and a challenge, Lord. I just pray that you would enable me to communicate your word and that we would not um, block out our hearts from what you're trying to say to us, Lord, but that we would listen Open our hearts and allow you to speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hindsight is always 2020. Isn't that what we say? Looking back on what has happened, it is much easier to look and say, well, this would have been a better decision to make. Sometimes it can be quite humorous. You're sitting in traffic in the Holland Tunnel and you hear on the radio, the George Washington Bridge is wide open. And you're saying, I wish, looking back now, I wish I had taken the George Washington Bridge. Hindsight is always 2020. Or maybe you went to the restaurant and you said, I know this is good, but let me try something new. And you got it and you go, Hindsight is 2020. I know I should have gotten that other meal. This is not what I thought it was at all. Or how many coaches look back and say, I made the wrong call. Or I made the wrong move in that chess game. Or whatever activity you're playing in um, or participating in, you say, you look back after it's all over and done with and you say, This is what I should have done. And you can begin to plan it out in your mind how everything should have worked. And we can look back at that and laugh a little bit. Some decisions that we look back on in in hindsight are not so humorous. How many people today are sitting in prison because the decisions, looking back on they say, why did I do that? I can see it all now. Why did I do that? Someone who... His life has been destroyed by drugs, by alcohol. Or decisions to please the flesh in the moment and you look back on it in hindsight and you can see, why did I do that? Why are these decisions? And you can look back at it and say, I should have done this. This chapter, chapter number 7, is being written in hindsight. It's being written after What has happened, happened. It is being written by Joshua back to the children of Israel after the land has been conquered, after they have settled the land. And they can look back and say, remember the story and say, man, there were some decisions there that we should have made, that we could have made different. But it's also easy for us to stand here with the hindsight and look and say, man, They sure made some foolish decisions over there. But in our own lives, how oftentimes do we reach the point where we can look back and say, I made some wrong decisions. I rebelled against God. Maybe 
I didn't stop and consider what God would have for me today. It is easy to look at this decision when we begin reading about AI and defeat there and say, well, Joshua should have done this. Joshua should have done, ba- should have done that. It's easy to look back in hindsight and say, Joshua, you made a mistake. You shouldn't have gone just straight up to AI. But let's take a couple minutes. Let's stop. Let's look at what Joshua was considering. Israel had just experienced their first victory. The walls of Jericho had fallen down. They had experienced the miraculous workings of God. They had conquered the city with ease. No casualties. They also had the promise of continued victory from God. In Joshua 1.5, in the beginning, when God was talking to Joshua, God promised Joshua, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Joshua could also go back to the book of Deuteronomy where Moses was instructing the people before they went into the land, before Moses passed away. And this is what God said through Moses. There shall no man be able to stand before you. For the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon, as he hath said unto you. So Joshua has just experienced the walls of Jericho falling down. He had God's promise of continued victory. No man is going to be able to stand before you. You're not going to experience defeat. The enemies are going to just melt away before you. And so Joshua, having seen the victory, was expecting more. He was expecting God to continue to give the victory. So Joshua sends out a recon mission from Jericho. Now, just something interesting, their campground was at Gilgal. Remember, they went up to Jericho and they marched back to Gilgal. They went up to Jericho and marched back to Gilgal. So apparently, from this is my opinion, but the Bible says they were sent out from Jericho. So they had conquered Jericho. They burnt the city. They destroyed everything. From the still smoking ruins of Jericho, as the flames were, fires were still dying out, Joshua's already taking men aside and saying, go spy out the next place. He is saying, God is working. We have God's promise of victory. We're moving forward. We're not stopping. We're going to continue living for God. We're going to continue moving forward. He had, expect, looking at it from his perspective, it was time to keep moving. God was working. He had God's power. He had God's promises. So Joshua sends out the spies. They come back as they're dealing with Rahab and her family and um, getting them safely out of Jericho and set up. And here's the, the spies come back and say, if God can do this to the mighty city of Jericho, we don't even need the whole army at Ai. There's a few people. Now we'll find out if you read ahead in Joshua chapter 8 that there was about 12,000 people in the city of Ai. So it was much smaller than the city of Jericho. And, And here's what they were so confident. I don't believe they were confident in themselves. They were confident in what God had done in the past. They were saying, you know what? We don't even need to send the whole army. Just send two or three thousand guys. Okay, that's odds of six to one. Or four to one in AI's favor. 
but they were so confident that God was going to give them the victory that it said, it doesn't matter if the odds are six to one or four to one. Um, the, the whole army doesn't even know. We got this. This is great. God's going to give us the victory again. Go up, conquer it. We're ready to go. You can send the army, the rest of the army back to rest. Send your fresh young troops. Let's go do this. Now, a lesson should be learned in hindsight from this of the need of Joshua to say, wait a second, let's stop, let's pray, let's make sure we have God's mind on the matter. Many sermons have been preached on how Joshua failed in not taking the time to stop and pray and make sure he had God's leadership on the issue. Maybe it was self-confidence. They said, we have God. You know what? Jericho is big. AI is small. We can take this. But God never condemns Joshua in this passage. He never condemns Joshua for going forward and attacking AI. That, God never says that against Joshua. But each and every time we come across a decision, even when we have God's blessings on our life, even when we see God working, we need to make sure, God, is this your will? God, am I still following you exactly the way I should? In hindsight, we can look back and say, we need to make sure each step of the way. Past victories do not guarantee future victories. I need to make sure that each step I'm taking is in obedience with what God wants me to do. But from Joshua's perspective, were the men of Israel being wrong and being confident of victory? No. I don't believe they were wrong in being confident of victory. They had seen God work. They had God promises of victory. God, conclusion, we will be victorious. Were they wrong in not sending the whole army? You can debate upon that. God doesn't, con- now we know that in chapter 8, where, where eventually they will have victory, God does tell them to send the whole army when they have the clear direction from God. But here they are, from their perspective, they see God's working, we have God's promises, don't stop, keep going, let's serve God. They go up to the small, seemingly insignificant city of Ai. And this is what the Bible says in verse number 4, So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim. Now, Shebarim has the idea of the quarries, because Ai was set up on top of a hill. They went down the steep cliff. So they climbed up the hill to Ai, and they chased them the whole way back down the hill. And smote them in the going down. Wherefore, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. They went up confident of victory and they suffered a demoralizing, costly defeat in what should, in their minds, have been an easy victory. First, they go up there, they're marching up there, they're saying, I don't know what God's going to do, but God's going to do something great. And all of a sudden, they're running. For their lives. They're, they're, they're not used to this. They haven't experienced defeat before. What is this? What is this? And they're running pell-mell down the mountainside. And the men of Ar are chasing them. And it says, they smoked. 
it's, they're, they're just striking and continuing to strike and killing. It's, it's a complete victory for the men of Ai. Israel hadn't suffered, according to the Word of God, hadn't suffered any casualties at Jericho. They weren't used to defeat. They lost 36 men. You say, well, that wasn't that many men. It was defeat. It was to the families that lost their loved ones. And the hearts of the people melted like water. This goes back, if you go remember back in Joshua chapter 2, where Rahab's talking about how the people, the hearts of Jericho, the king and their soldiers, they melted because of when they heard what God's mighty work has done. It's the same thing that happened to the children of Israel. Instead of the Canaanites being afraid of God's mighty working's power, now God's people are in a place of fear. God's people are in a place of defeat. They are as helpless as the men of Jericho were. And Joshua and the elders of Israel go before God and they rend their garments and fall on their face and begin throwing dust in the air and on their, and on their heads. This was um, cultural signs of mourning when someone very near and dear died or something, some terrible calamity happened. They would throw dust in the air and put dirt on themselves and um, rip part of their garment saying, this is just so terrible, life cannot go on. And Joshua and the elders of Israel are on their face before God, just in utter despair. And Joshua even begins to doubt God. If you read in verse number 7, And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan? That's surprising for a man. Like Joshua, who has just experienced, has shown such faith and um, with, the, with the walls of Jericho and has followed God and has had God's promises. He's saying, God, why did you even bring us over Jericho? If, if only we had just been content with the other side of Jordan, if we hadn't really pressed on and tried to conquer this land, even though God did not want them to be content on the other side of Jordan, God's plan was then for the cross the Jordan and conquer the land. They said, God, it had been better if we'd never even come here. You go back into the wilderness, and some of the people who died in the wilderness had the same complaints. Now Joshua goes on and says, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. Why are we here if we cannot win battles? Why are we here if we cannot... Because if we're destroyed, it's going to reflect poorly on your name. In verse, in, verse number, um, in verse number 9, at the end. What wilt thou do unto thy great name? If we're destroyed, it's going to look, reflect poorly upon you. Why are we here if we do not have your victory? Why are we here trying to win these battles and experiencing defeat? You promised victory, God. What is going on? There have been all time, there have been times in all of our lives where we have experienced spiritual defeat. Where we've been trying to go forward for God and we fall flat on our face and we look at what is going on saying, God, this isn't the way a Christian is supposed to live. This, we are not, I am not supposed to be 
under the oppression of the life around me. I'm supposed to be living a victorious Christian life with peace and joy. Why am I flat on my face? Why am I experiencing the defeat? It isn't always this reason, but this is what God comes to Joshua. He's... The attitude of the camp is completely different. No longer is there songs of praise and glorifying God and just shouts of happiness. The wails of those who have lost a father or brother or a son are heard. Doubt fills the air. Weeping and mourning is heard. Confusion. And God speaks to Joshua and God doesn't say, it's okay. You'll be okay. You'll get over it. No. God says, get thee up. He says, stand up. Wipe your face. What are you doing on your face, Joshua? It, the reason of your defeat wasn't because of me. I am not responsible. I did not give you defeat. Well, here's what he says. Look, it says, get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. God tells Joshua... It isn't because I've gone back on my promises that you experienced defeat. It isn't because I am suddenly unable to give you the victory that you are experiencing defeat. The reason Israel was experiencing defeat was there was sin in the camp. God gives Joshua a list of offenses. He goes through the charges that is against Israel says, I am not even going to be with you anymore until these are solved. First he says, Israel has sinned. Now if we go back to verse number 1, it says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass and the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, took of the accursed thing. It was one man who took of it. But when God is talking to Joshua, he says, Israel. He's including the whole nation in that. Israel has sinned. When the, the word sinned, you look it up, here's what it has the definition of. Missed the mark. They've missed the mark. They've transgressed my covenant. They went beyond the bounds that God had set. God had said, this is my law. This is what I want you to do with the accursed things in Jericho. And Achan went beyond that. He said, this is what God says. I am stepping over that line. That's what the word transgress means. And have stolen, also stolen. He took, Achan took what belonged to God. We're going to go later in the chapter. What Achan took was a goodless babble, goodly Babylonian garment, a wedge of gold, and 200 shekels of silver. The silver and the gold belong to God. The goodless Babylonian garment, we'll get to that and read it here in a minute, was to be burned. 
But not only had he stolen and dissembled also. That has the idea of deceit, of deceit, of covering it up, of lying, of trying to cover his tracks. And they have put it even among their own stuff. What God is saying, Israel as a nation has done. You have missed the mark. You have gone beyond the bounds of my covenant, of the law that I have set up. And in verse number one, it says, committed a trespass. That has, what it says is, he was unfaithful to God. The same as it would be in a marriage relationship where a spouse is unfaithful to another. Achan was unfaithful to God. He um, violated the bounds of his trust. It's also used, it's, that terms are used almost exclusively though, of man to God. In the idea of idolatry. He made something else than God his God. Achan went searching after something else and took something that did not belong to him, but belonged to God. No wonder Israel had suffered defeat. No wonder, in verse number one, it says, the anger of the Lord is kindled against Israel. We make way too light a deal of sin. In our culture today, in the church of God today, I just need to say what the Word of God says and be frank today. We are way too light when we talk about sin. In this thing, God says the anger of the Lord is kindled. God uses that in Exodus chapter 32 with the golden calf and the anger of the Lord was kindled. Later, when it's talking about the sins of Manasseh and how he filled the land with innocent blood... The anger of the Lord was kindled. Same thing here. The anger of the Lord was kindled means to burn, inflamed. Later, it, at the end of chapter number 7, it says, And the fear turned from the fierceness of his anger. It has the idea that his face became red. His face was burning. Now, most of the time when we think of anger, when we think of someone getting red in the face, that's a sinful response to life circumstances. That's us getting upset with what's going on around us. But let me remind you that we serve a righteous God who cannot sin. And when God gets angry with sin, it's because He knows it's going to destroy His people's lives. It brings dishonor to His name. God hates sin. God must judge sin. And when Achan sinned, the anger of the Lord was kindled. There was a fire lighted in God's face against the sin that was in His people. And no wonder there was defeat. But God did not say, you've sinned, that's it. I'm done with you. We see the great mercy of God as God gives Joshua clear commands and says, this is how you're going to deal with your sin. It says, up, verse number 13, up, sanctify the people and tell them and, and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou cannot stand before thy enemies. He's ex God is explaining to the people why they suffered this defeat. Until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord shall come, taketh, 
shall come according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man, and it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, and he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. Number one, the people were to sanctify themselves. Okay, this often, God doesn't give specific um, instructions here on how they were to sanctify themselves, but often the sanctifying process involved taking a bath, washing their clothes. What it was, it was preparation to meet with God. They were to remove anything in their life that would come between them and God. Set apart anything that was unholy in their lives. And then they were warned in the morning that God was going to go tribe by tribe. And the tribe that He took, then He would go family by family, and then household by household, and then man by man, until the man who had committed this crime, who had sinned against God, was exposed. Now, when the Bible says the word take, God taketh, it's the same idea of capture. It's a military term, a term, a militant term as if in conflict. God is in conflict right now over the sin of the children of Israel. He is fighting against the children of Israel until this sin is removed. God is very aggressive in this. He is going to judge the sin that is in. He is going to find out where the sin is. Because of two reasons. There's to be great judgment. Once the perpetrator was discovered... Everything he owned in himself would be burnt with fire because he transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he wrought folly in Israel. Stupidity. Senselessness. That's what the word folly means. Senseless, foolish sin. The word folly is often used of immorality in the Bible. You look up the word folly, you go through it, says, committed folly. The senseless stupidity of it. He had brought foolishness, senselessness upon the name of God. And Joshua and the people rose up early in the morning to do what? To follow God's revealed Word. God said, this is how you're going to deal with the sin that is in your nation. Joshua rose early in the morning. And the people... We are going to deal with this. Joshua rose, verse number 16. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah. And he took the family of the Zerites. And brought the family of Zerites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man. And Achan, the son of son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Achan was finally taken in his sin. Joshua was standing before the people, and the tribes passed before him. The Bible doesn't explain how God spoke, how God Revealed, maybe it was a casting of lots. Maybe it was with the priest Urim and Thummim in his breastplate. 
that God could communicate through. But God chose Judah. And then the family. And then the household. And then man by man till Achan was taken. All this time, Achan had been warned the night before, sanctify yourselves because there's a cursed thing among you. And he stood there and watched as his tribe was taken. And then his family was taken. And he's still standing there. The other nation, the other um, of the tribes of Israel, the other people of his tribe, are standing off to the side watching. Who is responsible for this defeat? Till finally he is standing there by himself, and Joshua says, Give God the my son, I give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel. He's saying, Tell the truth. Give glory to God. Not say a praise be to God, but glorify God by telling the truth. It's all one thing. He's saying, glorify God by confessing your sin. Give God the glory. Tell the truth. Make confession unto Him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils. That's a key word. Spoils. Because if you remember... Everything in Jericho was to be accursed. It was all, everything that could be burned was to be burned. All the metal was to go to God. Spoils is a term that is used for the regular things in war that are captured. Because in that day when they went out to war, how the soldiers were paid is by what they captured. They would go through a city and they would sack it. Will you read, why did they always sack the cities? Why did they always... Because that's how the soldiers were paid. That's how the army took care of itself as they took whatever they needed out of the city that they captured. And Achan didn't see it as God saw it, as a cursed, set apart unto God. He said, just the spoils. He said, I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, a beautiful garment. And 200 shekels of silver... And a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight. Then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. It is not until he is confronted with his sin that Achan confesses. He is no doubt full of guilt this whole time. He had seen the bodies of his fellow soldiers come back. He had heard the wails of the family. He had heard the punishment that awaited him. But he never confessed until God exposed him. Then, finally, Achan confesses his sin and he suffers the consequences of his actions. He says, I followed the age-old steps of sin. I saw, I coveted, I took and I hid. Eve saw, then she coveted. Desired something that she should not have. Then she took 
then she and Adam hid from the presence of God. David, with Bathsheba, saw, was her sin was seeing. We all see, but he coveted. He took, then he murdered Uriah to hide his sin. The age-old steps of sin that still apply to us today. Joshua goes back, going back to Achan. He removes the items from Achan's tent, gives them back to the Lord. They brought them back and poured them out before the Lord. And um, verse number 22, And Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tent. And behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zariah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap unto this, of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore the place, name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Achan and his entire family suffered the extreme judgment of God. Everything in his household, children, his wife, his animals, his possessions, were brought before the Lord because he had taken what was God's. He had sinned against God, and the judgment of God was upon him. And the reason, we can go back to why did, why did Israel suffer the defeat? Why was they no longer the blessings of God upon Israel at that point? Why did Israel come to the city of Ai what should have been an easy victory and be utterly defeated simply because one man in his family refused to confess their sin against God? I counted seven opportunities that Achan had to confess his sin before he was exposed. When he first sinned, when he picked it up and he took it back to his tent, he could have said, what am I doing? And taken it back and said, I have sinned, and there would have been judgment on him. But if he had come and confessed his sin, God is a God of mercy. When we humble ourselves before Him and confess our sins and repent, I believe God could have had mercy on Achan. And they wouldn't have experienced the defeat at Ai. Then there was the defeat at Ai. When Achan saw the soldiers of Israel come streaming and straggling back into the camp with terror in their eyes. Dragging their comrades with them. Achan could have said, why do I have this? And then, most importantly, when the people sanctified themselves. That night, as the families got together and said, we need to prepare to meet with God tomorrow, Achan's family was around him. 
They knew. He had his stuff buried in the tent. His whole family knew what was going on. They could have said, we don't want that. We better go to God right now. But pride, embarrassment, or a hardened heart, the Bible doesn't say for sure, the fact that I'm going to get away with this, they didn't bring it forward and confess. And then his tribe was called. No move from Achan. His family was called. No move from Achan. The man over his sector of that family was called. No move was taken. The household was called. And they began to go man by man. And no move by Achan was taken until Joshua said, You! But we all have the natural instinct when we sin, to allow sin to work its destructive forces in our lives until God exposes it. God is serious about sin. But He will mercifully give us opportunity after opportunity to repent by making us suffer consequences for our sin. They would have never dealt with the sin of Achan if there hadn't been the defeat of Ai. Do you, how, if there hadn't been the, the, the um, judgment upon Achan, others may have sinned. But God will give us opportunities to repent. But we all have that natural bend. We all have sin in our lives. And we want to say, I'm okay. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, it was only a garment. And I mean, God, God really doesn't need this money, Achan might have said. He had all the rest. But he did not alone suffer. Achan did not suffer alone for his sin. The entire nation of Israel was defeated and endangered because of his foolish sin. And he brought shame to the name of God. For time's sake, we're going to try to hurry just a couple points of application in our lives. Number one, God is very serious about sin. Do not take sin lightly when it's in your life. God's anger was kindled. God's face was burning with anger. When we think of that, we say, that's sinful. No, God is righteous. God cannot sin. And yet God was burned up with anger against sin because of what was in Achan's life. Why was it such a big deal? Because Achan took what belonged to God. How often in our own lives do we say, it's, oh, it's not that big of a deal, and we begin in this church to take what belongs to God. We steal praise. We steal glory. Time. Money. We can, how do you steal money that belongs to God? Well, we don't pay our tithe. We don't do what belongs to God. That's serious. We take what belongs to God for ourselves and hide it among ourselves, among our stuff. You know, Achan never got to enjoy, even for a second, any true fulfillment from what he took? 
You think there ever was a second in his life after he took it? He said, why did he take it? Because he thought that would help him out a little bit. He wanted it. Why do we sin? Why do we take something that we know we shouldn't have? Why do we make decisions that we know are against God's word because we think it's going to better our life somehow? I think that I would be just a little more happy if I could just have a little bit of this sin in my life. But there wasn't one second of fulfillment in his life. Number three, sin affects the entire body. No one says, my cells have cancer. But how many have said, and asked prayer, my mother has cancer. My father has cancer. The Bible calls the church a body. And talks about how when one member hurts, the rest hurt. When one is in trouble, it affects the whole body. When I stub my big toe, I feel it throughout my whole body. Why? It's connected. When there is sin in the church of God, it affects the entire body. God cannot give the blessings that He wants to give when there's sin in the church. Because God must judge sin. I'm not going around to people and saying, you're in sin. You're in sin. I'm not trying to point at anybody in particular. But God is giving opportunity to repent if there is sin in your life. If there's not, we should still be praying one for another, seeking God's face and saying, Lord, if there is, wherever there's sin, first examine your own life. The time of sanctifying, Achan should have been saying, wait a second, I'm not ready to meet with God tomorrow. I'm not ready for that. I need to go and to Joshua right now, tonight, and get this settled. You know, when we come and meet at church, God cannot bless the services. God cannot bless what is going on and bless the singing. Bless the people that are coming when we come with sin in our lives. And say, I'm okay. I'm good, it's not that big of a deal. And we hide it among our stuff. Finally, hidden sin will destroy your life, your family, and this church. Achan lost everything. Everything. He had a valley named after him. Achor. Trouble. That was it. Israel suffered a demoralizing defeat where victory had been assured. They had assurance of God's victory in the land. Where victory had been assured, they suffered a defeat because one man in his family refused to confess their sin against God. Proverbs 28.13 says, a verse most of us probably know well, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. I'm just trying to do my best to preach the Word of God tonight. If God is convicting your heart and saying, there's something in your life that needs to be pulled out, there's something in your life that you need to get right, I plead with you, get it right today. Don't wait until God has to expose your sin. There's way 
more pain in the future than now. Confess and forsake our sin. I'm preaching at myself tonight as well. I cannot stand up here and preach God's Word effectively the way God wants. God cannot bless even the preaching of His Word if my life is full of sin. Achan took and hid it with his stuff. Israel suffered defeat. God is giving a warning for all time for His Word. You cannot experience victory with sin in the camp. Maybe you need to come forward and confess that sin to God. Don't worry about what someone else has sin in their life. They say, well, I know where the sin is in this church. No. When the Bible is talking about sanctify yourself, each family or each person was to prepare themselves to meet with God. Are we ready to move forward together as God, for God? Because we cannot experience spiritual victory until we deal with the sin. Or deal with future sin that will come into our life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, Lord, we thank you for the warnings that you give us in your word, the lessons that you try to teach us.